CIO Talk Radio is brought to you by LexisNexis Litigation Solutions. Welcome to CIO Talk Radio with your host, Sunjog All. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are strictly those of the host, guests, and callers. Now, here's Sunjog All. Welcome. Good morning. This is CIO Talk Radio. To learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. And while you are at your computer, like us on Facebook. Search for CIO Talk Radio and make sure to join our conversation on Twitter, hashtag CTR Live and at CIO Talk Radio. Today's topic is addressing the big data veracity challenge. And our guest for today's show are Philip Wissoff, who is the Chief Information Officer with Proscower Rose. Good morning, Phil. How are you? Good morning. Fine. Thank you. Very good. And uh, just before we got started, learned Phil is from uh, New York, so hope things are going well. Yes, we're, uh, we're recovering. Thank you. Very good. And uh, hope everything will, will settle down in coming days and you can resume your normal life uh, along with your other peers and counterparts and workers in the company. So best wishes there. Thank you very much. And uh, we also have Ram McKella, who is the professor of information systems and technology management. He's also the director of Center for Knowledge, Information Systems and Management of Technology with the University of California, Santa Cruz. Good morning, Ram. How are you? Good morning. How are you doing? I am doing fantastic. So how is life at your end? Wonderful. I'm at Laguna Beach. I'm enjoying the ocean and the uh, waves before a board meeting and delighted to be working and chatting with you right now and with a nice audience. So now, Phil, can you see how people can tease us with being at such a you know, uh, beautiful and gorgeous uh, location while re- talking to us about technology? I'm going to recommend that my, my firm move, uh, open an office there. Sounds great. <laughs> <laughs> great, Phil. <laughs> All right, guys. So, so the, the topic that we have picked up, in fact, just to set the premise, we have done other shows on big data, and the world is talking about big data in general, and people are... Uh, putting their, betting their paycheck uh, on what they can get out of it. Now, the question here is that whatever is in, uh, whatever is the end result that we are seeking, that is kind of making a lot of assumptions that you'll get right, clean data, you will have the best processing and timely processing, and then you'll have the best possible interpretation. There's so many variables. So when we were to uh, start, uh, with this conversation, Phil, I'll start with you. Do you think, can we really uh, bet on an algorithm who, uh, which basically will pull out some results and then we will try having the whole business and our enterprise uh, work accordingly? Is, is it really reasonable to go with that mindset? I think, you know, the answer I think ultimately is yes. I'm, I'm more concerned about what are you asking the right questions, though, of the of the algorithm to get to get uh, the business solutions that you're looking for? So I'm I'm very concerned that uh, um, uh, you know the software it seems to be uh, you know somewhat in its uh, early early stages. I don't want to say infancy, but probably in its 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 teenage stages in terms of the analytics. But I, I suspect that that's going to get stronger. What really to me is the important part is asking the right questions. So. Ram, in your world, when you are looking at big data, you've dealt with huge amounts of data, and you also research and see other organizations playing with it. Where do you think this is today? Is it fully cooked? Is it like we got our act together and the results that we are getting are truly showing us the signs that, yes, this can be something we can bet our paychecks on? Well, I think the area is in wonderful shape, but it's got a long ways to go yet. Uh, I think algorithms are getting extremely powerful, but I think there are two or three caveats and additional work to be done. Uh, First of all, I think, as Phil pointed out, what is the right question to ask is important because people think, hey, big data, big data. But if you don't know what question to ask, uh, you know, what answers you get, right? So that's one. But even when you have the right question, you know, uh, you have data, you have a lot of noisy data, and noisy data uh, can come from two sources. 
One is that somehow what is being put in is not right. I will come back to that a bit later. But you also have lots of data, a lot of which may or may not be pertinent. So how do you sift through all that with a combination of algorithms and humans? That's a big question that's being resolved right now. And uh, later in the conversation, I'll give you examples of how we did this at Cisco, when we can take 100 page of, pages of text and reduce it to one page of refined, uh, very useful and pertinent text, and so on. So I think it's very important to process correctly, to, to ask the right questions, and to use humans the most effectively to win out what's not just right, but what's pertinent to get what you need. Now, with that said, isn't that what you always try to look for, Phil, in your world in the legal industry? Because you definitely could, if you wanted, you could be flooded with all tops types of data. And now with electronic medium, you can have structured and unstructured data. So I'm sure this is relevant for you. But do you think if somebody comes up with that earth-shattering algorithm and or, or discovery, uh, no pun intended with the e-discovery uh, process that typically goes on within uh, the law firms, do you think you would still say, okay, I'm going to minimize the human intervention or human interpretation and start looking more and more to uh, an algorithm and, and I do not see there's going to be any false positives? Uh, I... Uh, law, law is a very interesting uh, uh, industry, and, and uh, I think you'll have, just culturally with us, I think you're gonna, it's going to be a long time before there's absolutely no human intervention. Um, we may uh, rely fairly heavily, and we already do, with, with, particularly with respect to e-discovery, on algorithms to sort through um, massive amounts of, of information to find the, 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 um, you know, the gems, if you would. Uh, but even after that's done, uh, you know, somebody has to look at it. So I, I don't, I don't think, in, at least in that area, uh, that we will not have any human intervention and just be totally reliant on algorithms. That's our industry. Maybe in other areas that might be true. Now, Ram, when we look at uh, the very big data concept, and we are talking about veracity, which is trust. So are we trying to say that we are trusting that it can handle that volume of data, or it can come up with uh, appropriate output and then or, or for that matter it can help interpret what exactly is is what you want to which is what we can call as an actionable insight or or an action that you can take based on all that crunching what are we truly betting on is it all of the above or one thing in particular well i think it's all the above uh, so in other words i would say if i'm uh, I, I expect an algorithm to do something for me in the field i'd first ask is there a way of figuring out whether the data I'm getting is uh, really truth, uh, true or not? And part of it is self-consistency, right? Are there self-contradictory parts of the data? But if I have a consistent error, then perhaps only a human can see it. So that's the veracity part. The other part is, well, if I'm looking for insights, which is what I really care about, uh, uh, then in terms of insights, I think you certainly want the human to sort of indicate here the sort of thing I'm looking for, but the algorithm can also say, hey, in all this data, here are some patterns I'm seeing, and which of these might be potentially useful for you? Can you let me know? And by the way, the algorithm can also say, look, this part I'm pretty confident about. It looks reasonable to make these sort of statements, but these statements I'm not quite sure. And by the way, I need some inputs from you or some additional data to be pretty clear. So I think these are all the sorts of things the algorithm can be doing uh, in conjunction with a human, expecting some human input, uh, input as well. Now, Phil, if you were to take a Lamborghini, which can run zero to 100 miles an hour in three seconds, you would want to still, and that is presented to you, of course, it could be a great toy to have. But then would you look under the hood to see, is it safe? Does it really, uh, can that do it consistently? And then will it really give me all that I want besides just speed? So trying uh, to draw a parallel that big data is being offered to you and it is, it is like a black box. Would you like to see under the hood or would you just rely on what's being presented? Uh, you know, it, it, you know, it depends. I guess the analogy, if I was to carry it a little further, is uh, I'm presented with a... Uh, if I was presented with a Lamborghini in 1910 when autos were just coming out, I may look under the hood. Um, but now in, in you know, 2012, um, the Lamborghini has a reputation. It's well understood. I don't need to look under the hood to do that. 
I just don't think we're there with big data. And I think Ram is basically saying the same thing. So, you know, just give me a black box and saying trust it is, is not going to happen now. Maybe maybe five years from now, maybe, you know, uh, maybe that is what will happen. But we're not there yet. So would you say, Phil, that the fact that you're not ready or you're basically you would like to look under the hood, does that tell tell you and others that we should perhaps wait a little bit or you should still start using it, but with a healthy skepticism? I think it's I think it's the latter. I think there's uh, I think there's some real opportunities. Uh, you know, I, again, I know the law space better than than others, but I think there's some real opportunities out there uh, to take advantage of this. I mean, it, this is a powerful tool, and and the the mashup of you, if you would, of kind of structured and unstructured data uh, to to glean some uh, business facts that can be useful uh, to running your running the firm or or, or gaining advantage are, are great. I can't ignore it. So, Ram, do you think there is a calibration we can do in terms of how much trust or to what degree can we trust the results or the output or the interpretation? Uh, yes, uh, but that's both data and domain dependent. Uh, you know, earlier on, as alluding to the work uh, of, of the many companies we are working with, one is a prototype at Cisco, which does diagnostics. You know, when people come up with problems, uh, with whatever they bought from Cisco and say, hey, is this functioning or not? Can you tell us what's going on here? We have a problem. How do you know what the problem is, what's the cause, and how do you fix it, right? So actually, our system actually does this uh, uh, mainly automatically or semi-automatically with minimal human inputs from the very smart Cisco engineers. So uh, way of validating or verifying how well you're doing is of the solutions that the system comes up with, are there new solutions that the engineer could not uh, think of by himself or herself. Okay. And of the solutions which came up were some missed out that the engineer is providing. So we've done those sort of tests. And transpires there are things that the engineer could not have uh, really thought about in the time available or correctly, or because the engineer did not know these particular sort of problems. Because in our algorithms, we are fusing knowledge from many, many, many engineers put together. Uh, at the same time, there are certain uh, problems that only the engineer could really handle and their algorithm did not bring up. Now, uh, Phil, think about a situation. There are two types of leaders, right? It could be a bean counter and or the investor. So if it's a bean counter, they would look for efficiency. And the Cisco example that Ram just gave, it's essentially allowing us to reduce the people in support, maybe utilize the details to suggest a solution, but you would not break your bank if that solution does not work. So you're basically reducing the the links in that process for a person to get to that end goal. And if it doesn't work, then we just say, okay, let's try something else. That's a different type of a situation where big data could show promise, and it's a safer bet perhaps. But how about when people say, I'm going to change the way I keep uh, my my inventory on a retail shelf based on what big data suggests, and that redu- reduces the sales, it creates as maybe goodwill loss or whatever other major damage. Do you think we should be looking at such applications yet? Uh, I, I think there's a uh, – I'll go back to what Ram said. I think, there's, I think there's different classes of applications. I think for the, uh, the, the Cisco example, you know, is a great example where um, by looking at the data, um, rather than – Rather than using human intuition to say how did, how did this problem get solved in the past, we have enough we have enough data facts to drive an answer to what what the problem is, um, and if we can replicate that, then yes, we can we can uh, we can do that. Um, the uh, there are uh, the other class of problems though are the ones that uh, where we're taking in 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 my sense we're we're not doing something new, but we're taking a, a, what might have been traditionally been a human uh, activity and and replacing it uh, totally with the uh, the the data dr- driving the the, the uh, work based on the data. I think that's going to be uh, take longer to do. All right, let's take a quick break, listeners. We'll be right back. And Ram, when we come back, we would like to compare this big data to business intelligence. We always looked at the data source, and if it was not as clean, then we would outright reject. But in this case, we are saying bring it on. Any type of data that 
to have we have got this magic pill and and or or a or a factory which will just take everything that you have inhale and give you the those golden nuggets isn't this an apple pie let's explore this when we come back please stay tuned When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Take control of e-discovery with flexible integrated solutions designed for early data assessment, processing, document review, and litigation presentation. LexisNexis offers comprehensive solutions that work together as well as with other industry-leading tools to help you maintain a seamless chain of custody throughout discovery. Most of these solutions can be offered in a hosted environment with access to fully customizable support resources dedicated to your success. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to CIO Talk Radio with Sunjog All. To learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. If you have a question or comment, call toll-free at 1-866-472-5790. That number again is 1-866-472-5790. Now, back to the show. Here's Sunjog All. All right, welcome back. So, uh, Ram, since you have been dealing with uh, data and its related applications, I'm sure business intelligence is something that is not truly nostalgia. It still exists, but then that's how we always looked at it. And uh, where where we would like to see clean data, we would do look at the data integrity, security, and the very cleanliness of uh, that data, and then we would try to say, because I have that clean data, we will do certain things on it, and that's what it's going to get us reliable results. But here, we are somehow expecting that no matter what validation may or may not have been performed on the source data, we are going to get good results. Is this really a good um, approach to how we want to, to, to basically uh, plan our business and or try to uh, rely on anything and everything just like that, just because it's something new, it has a fad factor connected to it. Uh, I think Anjou, you bring up a great point. And I think, uh, you know, big data is as vulnerable to all sorts of problems as the old BI, especially since we're trying to do far more than traditional uh, BI. Uh, because we're trying to be much more proactive, much more real time, uh, 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 much more in the action compared to BI. Uh, so the point, though, is if you think of big data, I would say big data analytics, with the emphasis being analytics, is important because part of the analytics that we use is to really look at data coming in because with big data, you have several new problems that you didn't uh, have uh, as much of with business intelligence, BI, uh, one of which is sparsity. We always talk of big data, right? But just now you spoke of uh, predicting sales and so on. Uh, so similarly, when you, whether you predict sales or you look at advertising, you have lots of big data, but you also have a lot of data sparsity. We have a lot of data about how many uh, ads are being seen by users, but very few users actually buy things. So there's a sparsity on the action. So unless you clean out the data, which is noisy, and also uh, uh, account and adjust for sparsity, your results may be pretty poor. So there's a whole component. There are actually four building blocks of doing big data analytics, and one of which is something we call extractive analytics. And extractive analytics says, given a ton of big data, how do you extract what is meaningful before further processing to get insights and action? And so part of that is cleaning, uh, accounting for clean data or taking dirty or noisy data and extracting the most useful data out of all of it. And that's a huge area of work underway right now. And we're still midway through the process. So that's a very important distinction I think you need to bear in mind. So, Phil, in your in your world, when we look at how the different uh, pieces of the puzzle in a law firm work, and you are custodian of information overall, what is it that the business 
is looking for or the attorneys in or other people looking for, which would prompt you to say, now this is a compelling case for us to introduce big data and we can reliably deliver some results so that we can show ROI on that investment, plus, of course, help the company grow forward. Okay, well, there are two things, there are two areas, in, in, at least in the law business, where law firms are probably going to be looking to big data or, or already are doing that. And this, the, first, the first example um, is, you know, for the past 50-plus years, um, attorneys have billed on by the hour. Um, because of what happened in the economy in 2008, 2009, uh, plus client client demand plus competition. Uh, there's a lot of price there's price competition out there, and lawyers traditionally have not. And because it's it's been billed by the hour, efficiency was not a a, a chief concern of the lawyers. Uh, now it's becoming that. We have tons of data that we're generating every day about the the hours that our lawyers work and and what they're doing. Um, I what we what we need to do is uh, really uh, pick at that data and. Um, pick through that data and understand how to price a particular type of law work, whether it's a litigation, uh, a contract, or, or some other type of law work. And we, we, we believe we can do that, um, and that's, but that's a, you know, it, we're generating all this data uh, to do that. Traditional BI wouldn't be able to do that for us. Um, the, the second example is uh, actually a marriage of, of business intelligence with, uh, with, with big data, and that is, we want to look. We want to identify opportunities with existing clients because that's where uh, it's easier to sell an existing client than and, and, and then uh, capture a new one. Um, there's uh, lots of information uh, available ex- externally. You know, uh, lawsuits that are set up, uh, various other activities. So if we can marry that and understand where a client may be up, uh, against a certain legal uh, obstacle or, or or anticipate that and get to the client, and say we can help you with this. Um, I think there's going to be a huge opportunity for law firms. Now, uh, where all do you think you are willing to invest today if the environment was right or the funding was available, and where all would you be on the fence? Phil? Uh, I think the first example I gave, we're actually willing to invest in that now. Um, And I think it's just a question of, uh, of capturing the data. The second example, I think, is a little bit more... Uh, this is where you get back to the conversation about algorithms and whether you trust them or not. You know, did the, did the, did the um, analytics engine spit out a true opportunity with a client? Um, and I think that's where we're going to have human intervention. So I think that one's a little bit further down the road. Ram, if you were to look under the hood across the whole uh, chain when the data is received, the data is sifted through, the data is processed and or crunched, then the output is interpreted before the final insight. This whole uh, area, where all are their gotchas and where all are people using their own respective different flavors, which is making it confusing to see which one is better than the other? Okay. So, so let's just go through step by step, right? So I think the data collection is one of the most problematic areas right now. And I think often when people collect data, they don't know, uh, going back to Phil's original remark, they don't quite know what the question they're asking is in some areas. So I think identifying what am I trying to answer it would be the first point, and then collecting the right data. That's one of the biggest gotchas right now. Uh, the second part of it is people don't often, so in fact, uh, if you think of litigation and so on, right, and you know there are several companies working on this, uh, and IBM has, what, a billion dollars of revenue from this. Uh, so, so, you know, that's, uh, litigation is also a good example of this. Now, the second part of it is, um, once I get that, how much of human intervention do I need to train the algorithms is a big question. Uh, so we often find when algorithms and humans have to work together, most people don't have a clear idea of how much of human um, inputs are required and what level of expertise and for how long. So that's a second gotcha if you're not careful, because people expect this algorithm to be black magic or white magic out of box, and that's not true. You need to train it. Uh, so then the third thing is algorithms often have domains when they're valid and when they're not. So, uh, you know, um, and so if you don't realize that, for example, maybe an algorithm can only handle up to a million customers, and maybe we have 10 million customers or 100 million customers. 
So it just comes to a grinding halt. So understanding the scale of an algorithm or when it can work under what conditions. So data is extremely noisy. Some algorithms can't work. So I think understanding each of these can be uh, very important to avoid gotcha situations, I think. And often people misuse the algorithms. So they don't quite know what algorithm is relevant. So they just throw algorithms. And that's not a very correct thing to do. And I think we're still in the process of creating a new generation of data scientists who can figure out what to use when. No, with all that you said, the first point where you mentioned that we should be careful in collecting data and ask, have the right answers. We should know which answers are to be provided and thus collect data. But does that doesn't seem to be the approach when we are handling the big data concept. They're saying, I'm going to pick up every tweet, every social media post, everything that a customer says. And then without them knowing truly or without soliciting that, we're going to take all of that and somehow try to read between the lines and five, you know, come up with that magic insight, which is going to get us closer to our customer and maybe become even more proactive before they know what they want, we will know what they want. Is that truly possible? I mean, are, are, we, are we really uh, looking at a crystal ball? Uh, actually, I think uh, we are halfway there in my view, uh, that it is indeed true that when you have many sources of information, right, uh, what happens is if you want to understand what a, a customer or a user wants, right, then there's what's called explicit feedback when you process a lot of data and you actually provide some insights or action to a user and then ask, are you happy or not? And this can be explicit. That's called explicit feedback. The other possibility is you keep on providing the user either with some results or, for example, ads, and you see whether the user reacts favorably or not, very positively and enthusiastically or not. So the, in that case, the user does not have to say, I like it, I don't like it. Uh, you can just see from the behavior whether the user is happy and enthusiastic and you use that as feedback and you keep tuning what you keep further providing the user. So with that, actually, we can make tremendous headway. And what we can do is when you look at the tweets, the you know Facebook inputs, all these different types of inputs, you can process all that and provide what's relevant to the user. But this is an area of active research right now and the jury is out yet. Because if you see Facebook, right, you know, the, the, the stock uh, not quite tanked, but took a big hit because they couldn't uh, supply the pertinent ads because they have a lot of data, but it could be a weak signal or they may not be using the signal very effectively to figure out what the user wants. So I think this is midway. Some people are being extremely successful. As you know, people are a little scared when they get results from Google and others have not been so successful. So it's we are in the, in the right in the plumb in the middle of being very successful, but not quite there yet. Phil, in your world, do you think you can read between the lines and even see the emotions involved with a, a, an individual who's posting something which you would like to otherwise use in your um, in in your discovery process or whatever else that you would use that for? Do you think you can truly uh, go to that level in utilizing that big data? inference in creating an evidence which could then be admissible and then also uh, is, is working in your favor? I, I, think it's, I think it's a starting, I think all it is is a starting point. I think one of, you know, I've, as I read through the literature, um, predicting human behavior is, a, is, is, is not, uh, big data is not great at predicting human behavior. I mean, up to, a, you know, up, up to a, a certain point, it can it can give you an inference, but after that, you've got to investigate that and see if it's really true. So uh, I don't think we're going to be able to say, oh, uh, such and such uh, in such such a litigation, this person is going to say these things or react this way to this question. I just don't think we're going to get that from big data. All right, let's take a quick break, listeners. When we come back, let's look at the very uh, integrity, sanctity, security of the source data, which is being generated dynamically in real time. So, yes, we if we were to do this in a, in a batch mode or in an offline mode, if you will, then, yes, we can take those careful surveys and then try to get that data inserted. What is it that we could truly do realistically to make sure that all that we are using as a source has its integrity and because all of that is going to also be utilized to validate what the final results are? Please stay tuned. When we are, when we are back, we will explore this more. 
when it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Take control of e-discovery with flexible integrated solutions designed for early data assessment, processing, document review, and litigation presentation. LexisNexis offers comprehensive solutions that work together as well as with other industry-leading tools to help you maintain a seamless chain of custody throughout discovery. Most of these solutions can be offered in a hosted environment with access to fully customizable support resources dedicated to your success. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to CIO Talk Radio with Sunjog All. To learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. If you have a question or comment, call toll-free at 1-866-472-5790. That number again is 1-866-472-5790. Now, back to the show. Here's Sunjog All. Welcome back. So, Phil, I'd like to ask you a question with respect to e-discovery. That's a process that is utilized by organizations. They are at all times looking for security and integrity of data because it's very possible that the output that you come up with, the evidence that could be rendered uh, inadmissible in the court of law if somebody challenges or the judge says, no, this has got some tampering that has happened. So, what is it that in your world, if at all you were to use this big data related analytics and or whatever else that you do in your processes, what would you differently to ensure that you are maintaining uh, the integrity, the security, the sanctity of the very source data that was collected? We probably and who's, are, are you, is it your responsibility or you just hold, hope that general counsel and the CIO of the, the client's organization is supposed to do that? Because anyway, it's coming to you. Right. Well, there's, there's a, there, well, in our business, there's something called the chain of custody, which says uh, the data, uh, we have to actually track the data from its source to when it gets on our systems. And that, would, that, that process would remain the same. I mean, that's just a, that's just a requirement of, of, of the legal industry. In, in, a, in a broader context, I think when you're looking at sanctity of data, um, I, what, what I have control over is data that's generated within my, within my organization. And there's a Obviously, uh, a lot of that, but when I, the real issue for me is if I'm going to do some of the other things I talked about, get, when I start pulling data from the outside, how, you know, how, how reliable is that data? And, and, and then once I have it in, you know, how, sec- how, secure, is that, how secure is that data? So those are, those are the issues from my perspective. So would you be willing to hold the bag if something happened at the source, which is with the client, and while there was a chain of custody, could you truly trace it back that I was not at fault, somebody else was, and whosoever was at fault, they're the ones who are supposed to fix it and or provide you an alternate? Well, that's the source for a lot of litigations, actually. Uh, but no, in all seriousness, our chain, the chain of custody comes at this point when we are delivered the data, whether it's electronically or they physically send us CDs or whatever it is, we log that moment when we have it. And from that point on, we have a record of where it is. So it, that, that's just coming into my organization, and that's, that's, that is considered the chain of custody. Now, if, if it's been tampered with at the originating source, that's beyond our control. Now, Ram, uh, what do you think can be done in situations where you do not have a lot of the same, which is same input in terms of user data is not provided, that there's not a lot, very big population, so you cannot build actually a pattern. Then do you think big data is even useful? Uh, it is. Uh, you bring up a very good point that if you talk in, in advertising, typically these days uh, big data is being driven interestingly by advertising, computational advertising, because you have millions and hundreds of millions and billions of people who are responding, and energy analytics, uh, are, uh, these are some of the areas. So in all these cases, you have very many millions of users, and you can actually aggregate across all of them to come up with a solution. So the individual is, uh, is only um, representing the overall population. But if you think of situations when you have an individual, you can do a good job but it's certainly much noisier and has more error likely by tracking the individual path of a user 
and looking at the evolution, then you can do a pretty good job, but you still, because you're at the individual level, you could have a lot more error. So does that really solve somebody's problem? What could be the use cases of what type of businesses could truly then not use big data because of this very shortcoming? Uh, well, uh, you know, it's interesting. So if you think of, uh, and I would frame it as uh, not being able to use big data in an easy way, but needing much more hard work. Uh, I think uh, Phil's uh, example of legal is a very good example. Uh, if you want to have individual uh, think of it, if you have an automated home and you walk into the house and you want the, the temperature at the right setting, uh, the lighting at the right setting, all these things, uh, I think some components of that you can use big data to see who are other similar users. But the rest of it, you have very idiosyncratic behavior is something which will need a lot of hard work. Uh, anything, for example, any creative activity of creating a new product, uh, when there's something which you cannot quite predict, is much harder. I mean, you can enable, but if every individual has a different style of doing things, something creative, it's much harder to use big data. Now, we always look at the human side of any uh, technology implementation. In this case, more than anything else, we are still relying on the final interpretation of the output that is created through that big data churning machine. And uh, those are the people who could interpret it differently. So I give the same data set to 20 people, maybe with similar or, say, a different background and or experience level. They may come up with more, less, or different insights. So, Phil, do you think if that is what it is, then we, we are, what are we getting out of this? And in your space, so if I had 20 different attorneys looking at the same case with some data uh, presented to them, if they are to come up with different uh, interpretations or different case models, is, is that really leaving technology redundant almost? Well, I, I think the potential, um, and we haven't gotten there yet with particularly with what you're talking about, is for the analytics to um, make us more efficient with respect to, to reviewing the information. And we're already starting to do some of that in, ter in terms of, uh, you know, when we, when we get a, uh, a discovery case and we could get you know, terabytes of data, millions of emails, millions of documents, videos, audio clips, um, we need some way to manage all that information and, again, get down to the, uh, the pertinent pieces. And that's really the starting point. Once we said, okay, out of this huge um, uh, set of data, we have uh, a thousand items we should look at rather than millions of items to look at. That's where, that's where, we're, that's where we're getting the efficiencies. Now, do you think, uh, Ram, uh, is, is the people side the weakest link in making big data successful? Because at the end of the day, these are the people, number one, you, you would not know suddenly how many people of, of reliable skill levels are available to do something like this. And then you don't have a benchmark today for you to say this person is really delivering good insights versus not as good insights. Do we need to fail a little more for us to figure out who is good versus who's not? That's a great question. I love your question because, you know, um, uh, uh, Sanjay, uh, this term crowdsourcing is now increasingly being used in connection with uh, big data analytics. So, in other words, when you have lots of people who are actually providing inputs to enable algorithms or to train algorithms, how do you make it work? And so far, most people, the, the assumptions being somehow these people are all interchangeable, which is not the truth at all. And they actually come in varying degrees of either levels of expertise in the same area or expertise in different aspects of facets. And so I think the right choice of these people, depending on the accuracy level you need. So let's say you might want better and better accuracy in terms of insights, right? Well, it depends on what's my economic value. So if I'm going to get a lot of economic value by processing the data and coming to insights on a certain, along a certain dimension, then you certainly want to have smarter people with more experience for helping me whom I may want to pay more. Whereas if something is not as valuable, then I may not want to kill myself either on the algorithm front or the person front, right? So that is very much underway right now. So, so Phil, coming to you, do you, th you actually mentioned in your previous 
comment that this could be utilized to make you efficient. How about being effective? Do you think this particular whole process or technology or this combination of people, process, and technology has the potential to make an organization effective versus just efficient? Uh, absolutely. And I, I would go back to the earlier examples of, of where, we're, where we're really looking for big data to help us, either, either um, um, doing a much better or more effective job of um, pricing our work um, and, and, and identifying, uh, identifying opportunities uh, and helping our clients. So I, I think, yes, the, an- the answer is definitely yes. Um, so it's not just an efficiency thing. All right. So, so then in, in your world, when you are trying to make people effective, if at all you try to do that, what all would you like to, what, what, all, what all is left to be desired uh, from big data? What would you see where people say, yes, this is something which is not helping me save a buck? It is going beyond that. Like I think this goes back to you know can you can you predict what individuals are going to do I I just don't think that's where it, this is going to be viewed as a, of having much value I think if if it helps us run the business better uh, and more effectively uh, or 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 pre- present efficiencies um, that's where I think the value that's where the value is in terms of my perspective. Hello. Yes, hi, Ram. Uh, yeah, we're finishing up with Phil, and definitely we'll be having you uh, continue your uh, sure, sure. answer. Yeah, yeah. yeah, go ahead, Phil. No, no, I, I, I finished. Yeah, okay, good. Now, uh, yes, so, so Ram, please uh, share your views. I think we, we lost you when you were about to share a particular uh, angle to the answer that you were about to provide. Uh, okay, uh, I was just saying that, uh, you, you know, uh, I don't know whether you heard the comment I made about crowdsourcing of humans. Yes, yes. Yeah. You just started with that. Uh, so, so the thing is, you have humans with different levels of expertise, and they cost different amounts of money, and they're very helpful in actually training and guiding algorithms. Uh, so, But it then depends on what is the value. If I get a better answer, am I going to make much more money or benefit much more? And then it's worth having an expert. So I think characterizing experts either by the depth of their expertise or the different facet of their expertise makes a huge difference in training these algorithms. So the human becomes very important. And I think evaluating what they can do to enhance the answer makes a big difference. Now, this also relates, by the way, Sanjok, to a question you asked Phil earlier, because humans are very good at disambiguating when there is something that's not very clear and where the, ans- uh, where the algorithm uh, doesn't quite know what to do. Uh, also, I think when you pre- predict, you base it on data, but not only is there the current data, but a human may actually have additional expertise based on a lot of data exposure in other contexts. And that is what the human is bringing in compared to the algorithm. And that's why the human is so important. All right, great. Now, let's take a quick break. When we come back, uh, Phil, I'd like to ask you about the influence management that uh, an IT leader might have to demonstrate, because if you were to implement big data, yes, miracles are being expected, or maybe um, some some output is expected, but then the people who are creating data or are responsible or being custodians of data, and then the ones who are churning uh, the results, and then the people who are interpreting, there are two or three different camps and all of them have to coordinate, they have to work together and then go back round in circles a couple of times or iterations are to be done before a final good result can be produced and used. You may be at the top and trying to manage it all. What would it take for you to do that? Please stay tuned. We'll be right back and explore. Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business. Take control of e-discovery with flexible integrated solutions designed for early data assessment, processing, document review, and litigation presentation. LexisNexis offers comprehensive solutions that work together as well as with other industry-leading tools to help you maintain a seamless chain of custody throughout discovery. Most of these solutions can be offered in a hosted environment with access to fully customizable support resources dedicated to your success. 
Business Community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to CIO Talk Radio with Sunjog All. To learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. If you have a question or comment, call toll-free at 1-866-472-5790. That number again is 1-866-472-5790. Now, back to the show. Here's Sunjog All. Welcome back. So we're talking about influence management. So, Phil, if big data is such a process which is touching business, it's touching operations, it's touching IT, and and you might be seen as someone who is running because of being an IT leader, and you can at most influence some some of the entities and or people. How do you expect to pull this off and well, do it on an ongoing basis successfully? Yeah, I, I think I have. I think it's my as a CIO. I think it's my responsibility to present the the possible uh, to the appropriate management people. I think I think big data to me, in terms of the organization, is really a mashup of uh, the business development group, the uh, the finance group, and IT working together because I think the kinds of business problems we're trying to solve is going to take uh, expertise from all those groups. Uh, frankly, and I'm not sure where this ends up, I think over time we're going to see if, if, if the promise of big data evolves the way I think it's going to, uh, I think you're going to see almost a separate entity spring up in most organizations that deal with this um, because it is, it's not just an IT discipline. So, uh Ram, in your case, when you do see organizations successfully or not as successfully delivering on the big data initiatives, where all from a leadership and management and oversight and governance standpoint, things fail? Uh, uh, I think, uh, first of all, just task assignment. I, I think identifying the person who drives the initiative. I think people often get confused between the infrastructure, things like Hadoop, uh, with the analytic capability. Yeah. So I think choice of the leader, actually, and the person who actually understands the totality is one place where things often uh, uh, tend to fall apart. Uh, the governance issue, I've always found organizations, if I have a CIO um, who could potentially become a, C, a COO and a CEO, that is their business people, not just technologists, uh, makes a big difference, whereas if they report into CFO and people view this as a uh, more like a cost center or something to be managed, then also things may or may not work. All right. So, uh, Phil, in your world, do you have any message for the community out there which is trying to get miracles out of this process? I, I do not see big data as a technology alone because we are looking at a complete phenomena. Um, so, so what is your message to those people? Um, well, I think there's some. I think there's some uh, excellent literature out there. Um, should, you know, for, if somebody's trying to learn about this, I think there's some excellent literature out on the on the on the net that you can pick up. There's a uh, there's one one article in particular kind of gives you a good overview on how to how organizations uh, might take advantage of this. Is uh, there's a Harvard Harvard Business Review article that uh, came out recently. Um, I think in October uh, that kind of uh, it's fairly easy to read and kind of sums it up uh, for the, the on the business side. Um, uh, I, I think that uh, you know the other thing is you you just need to get yourself educated uh, about what it is and then think about the possibilities with respect to your 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 company or organization. Um, uh, there's just and and, and finally um, there's there's literally thousands of use cases out there that have been documented or or discussed. Um, so that you don't have to reinvent the wheel. So there's there's, pl- there's lots of information out there for you to get educated about. Anything which you would like to caution people who are trying to take this on so that they don't burn themselves or they don't get overzealous? Uh, well, I would talk about the hype cycle. Like with any new techno- <clears throat> any new technology or, 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 or thing that's very popular, it's not going to be the answer to all questions. 
All right. Now, Ram, uh, one final question for you. So as you see organizations out there trying this, where do you see the future going and, and how far are we from actually establishing the big data veracity? Oh, this for me? Uh, okay. Yes. Uh, yeah. Uh, I, I think uh, we, as, uh, you know, I think there's tremendous potential. I, I should actually say there's so much potential, uh, you know, as described in the McKinsey report and also in the HBR article by Eric that Phil was uh, referring to, that I think people are hiring data scientists in huge volumes, and we're actually starting new programs at the University of California, both at Santa Cruz and Berkeley in this area. And, and the emphasis there is really asking the right question. And in terms of the veracity part of really establishing processes and procedures so that given questions, what are the data you require and what sort of testing might you do both data analytically and in an organizational sense to make certain that the data is useful and productive is something that is underway right now. On behalf of the show and our listeners, I'd like to thank you, Phil and Ram, for sharing your thoughts about the addressing the big data veracity challenge. It was a pleasure. Thank you. Real pleasure, Sanjog and Phil. Yes. Thank you all. Thank you. And uh, listeners, please like us on Facebook, search for CIO Talk Radio, and make sure to follow us on Twitter and also join our conversations on LinkedIn. Thank you again for listening to CIO Talk Radio. This is Sanjog All, your talk show host. Till next week, take care and God bless. Thank you for tuning in to CIO Talk Radio. To learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. Join Sunjal Gall next Wednesday at 9 a.m. Central, 7 a.m. Pacific for another hour of CIO Talk Radio. CIO Talk Radio is brought to you by Citrix, offering go-to assist, remote support made easy. CIO Talk Radio was brought to you by LexisNexis Litigation Solutions.